Testing, one, two, three. Am I making this pop? Is it suspiciously poppy, popular in here? Yeah, yeah, yep, that's poppy enough, Wonderful. yep. If that sounds good, then we can get cracking. Are you recording? Should we go? Yeah, go, we're recording. It's urology. It's not rocket science. It's not even brain surgery. I can't believe the radiologist missed that. It stood out like dogs. You've got to have a sense of humour when you look at genitals, really. Bend over and assume the position. Bladder, most beautiful organ in the body. Talking urology with Dr Joseph Iskia and Dr Nathan Lorenchuk. A podcast series supported by Ipsen. I'm Joseph Iskia. I'm Nathan Lorenchuk. And we're Talking Urology, where we hunt beyond the headlines of the landmark urological papers to help doctors and allied practitioners develop a deeper understanding of the literature to ensure we apply the right evidence to the right patient. Today, we'll be looking at a remarkably important paper on BCG, which was published in European Urology in 2013. The first author was Jorg Ottens from the Netherlands, and the paper was titled, and you better sit down for this, (gasps) Final Results of an EORTCGU Cancers Group Randomised Study of Maintenance Bacillus Calmet-Gurin in Intermediate and High-Risk TA, T1 Papillary Carcinoma of the Urinary Bladder. One-third dose versus full dose and one year versus three years maintenance. I swear, Nathan, it must be shorter in its native Dutch or Italian. Today, we will be bringing the literature to life with our international expert and man of mystery, Maurizio Browsi, who was second author and one of the principal investigators. He currently works in the Ramazzini Hospital in Medina, Italy, a beautiful part of the world. I think this is a superb paper and a hugely important one. We all see dozens of bladder cancer patients every month. We subject lots of them to BCG. But if we're being honest, none of us are really sure what the optimal dose or duration of BCG should be. We also don't know if we can reduce BCG's toxicity or side effects by adjusting the dose. I think that's the first time I've ever heard you say you don't know something, Nathan. Are you sure you're feeling okay? I'm serious, Joseph. There's so much we don't yet know about BCG. But conversely, I can say that there are some things we do know about BCG. So before we dive into the paper which investigates whether we can reduce the dose or the length of maintenance, let's just do a quick recap of the benefits that have been shown for BCG right after we get back from thanking our sponsor. We would like to thank our sponsor, Ipsen, for providing an independent educational grant. Ipsen had no influence on the editorial contents, but we really appreciate their support. Welcome back, and thanks to our sponsor whose generous support make these podcasts possible. So let's start with a quick recap of the effectiveness of BCG. There was a very nice study by a Swedish group, Thiel et al., published in the World Journal of Urology in 2018 that showed after 15-year follow-up of patients with high-risk non-muscle invasive bladder cancer who had undergone treatment and maintenance with BCG, there was a 60% reduction in recurrence and a 48% reduction of progression. But interestingly, the authors did not find a reduction in cancer-specific mortality. It is worth noting that in this study, they did not find a significant association with BCG treatment and decrease of progression in the T1 high-grade tumours with concomitant CIS subgroup, i.e. these guys are the highest risk group. There are some papers out there which do suggest a reduction in mortality in BCG patients, but the jury is definitely still out on this one. And indeed, Cochrane reports from 2003 and 2011 failed to see any effect of BCG on cancer-specific mortality. Huh, but at least we reduced the 
comorbidity associated with recurrent and progressive disease. And as with all good treatments, it comes at the cost of some side effects. So let's just quickly recap those. Side effects of BCG are quite common and can be divided into local and systemic. The incidence varies widely according to what you read. The commonest local ones are bacterial or chemical cystitis in 30% of patients, hematuria in 20% and urinary frequency in 20%. The most frequent systemic side effects are typically general malaise at 15% and fever at 10%. Full-blown BCG sepsis is thankfully very rare, roughly 0.5% incidence. There is a long list of rare and weird complications, but we will let you look those up for yourself. Well, you could self-administer BCG and experience them for yourself, but let's get back to the study. This was set up as a non-inferiority trial where the aim of the study was essentially to establish the optimal dose and duration of intravesical BCG in the treatment of non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. That's right. Within 14 days of TURBT, 1,355 patients from 51 centres in 13 countries were randomised to one of four groups. Either they received one-third dose with one-year maintenance, full dose with one-year maintenance, or one-third dose with three years maintenance or full dose with three years maintenance. Oncotice was the strain used. Cystoscopy and cytology were repeated every three months during the first three years and then six monthly thereafter. The primary endpoints were disease-free rates at five years and toxicity. Medium follow-up was 7.1 years. Before we look at the results, we wanted to ask Maurizio about the inclusion criteria and some of the methodology. Maurizio, why did you exclude patients with a solitary TA high-grade cancer? This is a very, very good question. This study was conceived in 96. I was the chairman of the Superficial Better Cancer Committee. And we tried to exclude TA because at that time we didn't know if TA was equal to T1. That's the only reason, but they could be included also. I mean, there's no reason why. And Maurizio, you used the Oncotice strain in this study. Do you think we can now generalise these results to other strains? There is some data showing that Conal is better than Tice. But the data are some flaws. The number of patients included is not so high, coming from only one center. Just to be very, very, I mean, direct, I'm doing a study in my center comparing two different strains of BCG, Cono versus Tice. I don't think this is going to have different result. But in this case, I would say at that time, we thought Oncotize was our sponsor, and so we decided to, 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 do, to use Oncotize, but I don't think it's going to be any different. In the preparation of the trial, it was decided that a decrease of 10% in the disease-free rate at five years was going to be a limit for non-inferiority. Therefore, if the difference between the new drug and the active comparator does not exceed a pre-specified margin, non-inferiority can be concluded. Now, the trick is defining an appropriate non-inferiority margin, which is one of the most challenging aspects in the design of non-inferiority trials. Nevertheless, studies looking into this concept of the size of the allowable margin have shown that the method of determining the margin has not been mentioned in more than half of the published non-inferiority trials. Interesting. So what do we do? Well, regulators have recommended that the margin should be defined based on statistical considerations and clinical judgment. And whose better judgment could we trust than the authors of this paper? So firstly, Maurizio, in your study, how did you choose 10% as your non-inferiority margin? And 
And secondly, after initially accruing the required patients, you and your Goddens did a central review and on-site audits that led to the data from six centres being completely excluded. What was the issue there? Again, at that time, it was 96. We thought that 10% was okay. Richard Sylvester was now a statistician and he said, okay, we should go for 10%. Okay. But still, we needed 1,300 1, patients. Uh, the issue was the quality of the data. They try and randomize 1,490 patients or so. And uh, unfortunately, there were some centers, they were visited and the quality of the, of the data were not so good. And so we decided to exclude them. So it was like an episode of The Apprentice. You're fired. But maybe that would sound better in Dutch or an Italian accent. I suspect not. Let's now take a look at the results. The key finding was that the null hypothesis of inferiority of the disease-free interval for both one-third dose and one-year treatment could not be rejected. That is, they did appear to be inferior. Testing for superiority, which we remind you was not the primary objective of the trial, the differences in the disease-free rate were likewise not significant for either the dose or duration maintenance. Okay, so the study did show that based on the primary endpoint of disease-free interval, the one-third dose for one year is suboptimal compared with full dose for three years. The authors also found that for patients with intermediate risk urothelial cancer, that you only need to treat them with full dose for one year because there is no further improvement in outcome by continuing treatment to three years. Ah, so that's where the one-year rule comes from. However, in high-risk patients, full-dose three-year BCG treatment reduces recurrences as compared with full-dose one year, but there were no long-term differences, aggression or survival. Those results are fascinating. I think they could make a huge impact in the way we now prescribe maintenance BCG. I mean, they certainly should. Blanket BCG prescribing should be reviewed and instead tailored more appropriately for the patient's risk category. We consider reducing the dose of BCG to reduce side effects and even more recently we're using this to help stretch our BCG supplies during the global shortages. This is a great study to see if this will actually make a difference in the long term. So Nathan, was there any reduction in side effects in the one-third dose group? Interestingly, Joseph, there were no significant differences in toxicity between one-third dose and full dose. A total of 103 patients, or around 8%, stopped treatment due to local or systemic side effects. Specifically, 47 patients, or around 7%, randomised to one year of maintenance, and 56 patients, or nearly 9%, randomised to three years of maintenance. Neither reducing the dose nor shortening the duration of maintenance decreased the percentage of patients who discontinue treatment due to side effects. Very interesting indeed. Other notable findings were that nearly 50% started but did not complete their treatment. The reasons for this were inefficacy or recurrence in 26%, toxicity in 7% and other various reasons in 17%. Nathan, we mentioned at the beginning that BCG should reduce recurrence by around 60% in these patients. How did this study stack up? Well, Joseph, true to form for BCG, there was a 43% recurrence rate during the study, mostly TA, T1 recurrences. Of the 1,355 patients who were included, 91 patients developed carcinoma in situ, whilst 109 progressed to muscle invasive disease, and 67 people unfortunately developed distant metastatic 
disease. A total of 369 patients died, 68 due to bladder cancer. There were no significant differences between the treatment groups for the time to progression or overall duration of survival. I reckon this just emphasises what a dangerous disease bladder cancer can be despite the best treatment in the best hands. That's still a frightening amount of carcinoma in situ, muscle progressive disease, metastatic disease and cancer specific mortality. That's a very important stat there Nathan. 13% of patients progressed to muscle invasion or metastases by 7 years in this study. Obviously some of these were present from day 1 but it just took a while to become apparent. But we should also be mindful of the study we mentioned earlier that there is no benefit of BCG in very high risk T1 with carcinoma in situ patients. It really sounds like these patients are more and more likely to benefit from upfront cystectomy with extended lymph node dissection. I wonder if there is any evidence to the contrary. We couldn't find any and yet we still offer these patients BCG. But let's move on to hear more from our expert guest. Maurizio, the final hazard ratio for reduction in the disease-free survival was 1.15, which is more than 10%. Is that significant or is it the fact that the confidence interval crosses one make it statistically inconclusive? As we state in the paper, the statistical significant differences between one-third dose BCG one year versus full-dose BCG maintenance for three years. This is the only statistical significance we have. But already the clear message of the study is that one-third dose BCG for patients with uh, this kind of uh, intermediate high risk is not sufficient. We should use full-dose BCG. And... At the end of the story, intermediate, BCG, full dose, one year, high risk, BCG, full dose for three years. That's great to hear you say that. That really is the take-home message from this paper. Maurizio, the recurrence rate was lower than you expected when you were powering this study. This is something that comes up time and time again. Why do you think we have so much trouble powering studies or predicting outcomes in these studies? I don't know. That is concise. I think also, Maurizio, you note in your discussion that the introduction of a re-TUR may have played a big role. Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is another very important issue. At that time, very few patients received re-TUR after six, eight weeks. And uh, right now, is going to be the standard. Maurizio, when you first saw the results, did it change your practice? Yeah, as you said before, there was the tendency of using one-third dose BCG when you have some, some problems of toxicity and so on. But, you know, the statement was very clear. For high-risk patients, you must use full dose and maintenance for three years. No question about it. And do not use one-third dose BCG because it's not effective. The study specifically excluded carcinoma in situ. Do you think we can generalise the results of this study to carcinoma in situ as well? We see quite a bit of CIS, so I think this is a key issue. This is another very, very nasty and important question. Actually, no. The feeling is no. I don't think there's going to be any difference because the best therapy for CIS is maintenance BCG full dose for three years. This is what has been done, what has been written in the guidelines, and is also my experience. Very little wriggle room there. Let's change direction a little bit and look at another crucial aspect of BCG treatment, namely its toxicity tolerability. A lot of patients don't like BCG, simple as that. In the trial, there was no difference in toxicity between one third and the full dose, and yet in practice, if someone is having toxicity at full dose, we'll reduce to one third dose. 
Does this trial tell us that we don't need to do that because there's no difference in the toxicity between third and full dose? Yeah, actually, you're right in a certain point because some, they are already doing. And uh, I think that you can reduce the dose, especially in this moment where BCG is not available, at least in Europe, it's very difficult to get because Sanofi didn't produce uh, BCG for three or four years. So we are trying to reduce the dose after the first course of six installations. So this is a possibility. When we look at the SWOG data and the EORTC, only about a third of patients get to three years of maintenance. And I used to always think that it was because they can't tolerate it. But in fact, the majority of people don't get to the end of their maintenance because they recur. We still know that around 24% of patients will suffer from toxicity or other reasons. Maurizio, do you think there's much we can do to get more people through? Yeah, this is a very good point. BCG is toxic. This is what has been said many times. People on the podium say, I would like, would like to have BCG less toxic agent and so on. However, if in the first trial we demonstrate toxicity because BCG reached 30% toxicity or even more, in our trial we show that the toxicity of one third dose was an inf- not inferior to the other one. Mm-hmm. So the question is, we were better in giving BCG, in explaining patient symptoms, so the compliance of patient was much better. And this, in my view, is due to the experience of the, the urologists giving BCG and the nurses, because the center is very important. One of the major issues is to be in touch with the patients. He should have a number, a phone number to call and to have a direction. I couldn't agree more, Maurizio. It's crucial for patients to have a point of contact and to know that there's somebody out there who will listen and can understand their problems. So in your experience, Maurizio, do you have a rule of thumb for someone who is suffering toxicity? What do you do? What are your steps to get them through? First of all, I see the patient personally or my co-worker is in charge of the, uh, the hospital because we have we give BCG in the hospital setting. And then we discuss it with, with our patients and we have some treatments, you know. If uh, they, they, they have fever more than 38, for more than one day. We ju- just use a normal antibiotic if we have we call positive urine culture. <laughs> if they have more than 38, we use uh, azoniazid, uh, 300 milligram a day for three months. Some people are using fluoroquinolones as a sort of like a prophylactic measure. Do you ever use those, Maurizio? Do you find them useful? Yeah, sometimes we use it. We use it and it's been reported by Mark Columbell in a randomized trial that if you use uh, quinolone during installation, you can reduce the side effects. And that's very important. But in, other, in my trial on, uh, on toxicity, we show that, again, the toxicity of BCG is not such high as we think. I think that finding will surprise quite a few. I reckon there's a perception out there that BCG toxicity is rampant. Again, changing direction just a little now, we always like on this show, Talking Urology, to pick the brains of our experts on other areas in their fields of interest. So I asked Maurizio if he had 20 years of enthusiasm for doing another big trial like this, what trial would he set up? What does he think is the key question for bladder cancer at the moment? I think one question is probably we give too much BCG, just reducing the schedule 
you yes. know, in, instead of doing a three installation of every three and six months, just reducing the schedule of BCG, just studying the immunological system and immunological response after BCG, this is another one. But in my mind, I have two big issues. Mm-hmm. One, I have always dreamed of, study oral therapy for reducing recurrence. Do you have any particular candidate in mind? The oral therapy is a Yakult produce a lactobacillus. This was done in uh, in China and reducing the recurrence. This could, could be very nice. And the other one is the bladder cancer prevention program I'm uh, following because the real question is to prevent bladder cancer. Bladder cancer must be prevented more than diagnosed early or cure with installation. Just prevent it and avoid smoking and avoid dyes. And so this is the main issue for me right now. You mentioned a change in the regimen from the current type protocol. A lot of people are using maintenance BCG once a month. Do you think that is enough to stimulate the immune system? Or do you think that we still need to use multiple doses? I think it could be enough. However, we do not, not have, as you know, a randomized trial to, to demonstrate this. I know, for instance, in Italy, we have centers they do once a month. They don't use uh, swag for BCG treatment. Really, I think it should be enough. As I said before, we have to study interleukin. We have to study the immunostimulators in the urine in, in order to know what's going on after BCG. And uh, we have some data from Amsterdam, for instance. Uh, Caroline School was the first to study this. However, I think if I had to mount a trial, I will try to reduce the administration, the schedule. And while they were doing that trial, I know they were looking at one, two, and six-month intervals. Yeah, yeah. However, you know, you have to have the same patients, intermediate high risk. Sometimes you include CIS, for instance, swab trial, include CIS. And it was a very interesting issue, the swab trial. The swab trial, the inclusion criteria was diagnosis. When then you treat CIS, if they did respond, they go to the trial. If they do not respond, they are out. So this was a criteria. Very few people know this, but this is very important in order to realize and to evaluate the results because they select proper patients. That is a fascinating point about carcinoma in situ in the SWOG trial. I didn't know that. Cheeky, but does guide us not to continue with BCG in CIS failures? Unfortunately, we're just about out of time now. Such a pity because we could talk about BCG for a whole lot longer, but I know you've got to get to work. So I'm intrigued by Maurizio's thoughts. A really interesting paper. Congratulations to all involved in the study. Like we said at the outset, it's a topic which we encounter nearly every day in clinical practice. It's great to now be armed with these data. Thanks so much for joining us, Maurizio. You were very informative. Thanks to you, Nathan, as well. You were less informative, but thanks anyway. Careful, Joseph. Can you just recap the take-home messages of this outstanding trial, the ones you really need to consider incorporating into your own urological practice? Certainly. Let's go through our fast five facts. One, there was no difference in toxicity between one-third dose and full dose. Second fact, one-third dose with one year of maintenance is suboptimal compared with the standard full dose for three years. Three, intermediate risk patients should be treated with full dose for just one year. Point four, 
In high-risk patients, full dose for three years reduces recurrences as compared with full dose for one year, but it does not change progression or deaths. Five, carcinoma in situ is high risk. Treat it for three years. Nicely summarised, Joseph. We've been talking urology today with Maurizio Browsy. We still have some great podcasts coming up, so go to the website www.talkingurology.com.au or find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or wherever you find great podcasts. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can contact us with questions, corrections, updates or if you have a study that shows that BCG treatment is not inferior to surgery for high-grade T1 with CIS at talkingurology at gmail.com. This episode of Talking Urology was written by Mark Quinlan and Joseph Iskia. Spoken by Nathan Laurentia and Joseph Iskia. Produced by Joseph Iskia and Cara Webb. And of course, none of this would be possible without the generous and wonderful support of our sponsor, Ipsen. This has been Talking Urology with Dr. Joseph Iskia and Dr. Nathan Laurentia. A podcast series supported by Ipsen.